Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass. I'm your host, Sam, from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. And I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. Yes, you are. Uh, each week we get together, we talk about cars, motorsport, F1... Car, what else? Cars? Cars? We're cars, cars, cars. cars. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash behind the glass. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And Tony, if people want to support this podcast, what should they do? Watch it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but also head to Patreon. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash behind the glass. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To recap what's happening today, we did tease it slightly at the end of last week. Uh, we're doing kind of, well, we're going to call it a now a, a regular feature, aren't we, Tony? It's something we're going to try and do more of, which are these kind of deep dive, these special episodes, which yeah. essentially look at people's uh, careers or uh, or lives online. We, we kicked it off with Miss Emma Walsh way back in the day, very successful, popular episode. We did one with you, Tony, when you collected your GT3 RS. Mm. Done one with Shmi 150. That's a long time ago. Uh, yeah, three, years ago, yeah. three years ago, yeah. Done one with Shmi 150. Uh, Which was uh, very good. Uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, we did one with with me, uh, where, where Tony was heavily applauded for being a fantastic co-host and questioner. Mm. Um, and so we thought today we, we'd do it with you, Paul, now that you've been elevated to such a <laughs> yeah, high standard of co-host. Promoted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now about to um, get grilled. <laughs> but yeah, literally that. Be careful, because Tony, when he flips into like Michael Parkinson mode, it's quite scary. <laughs> he just comes at you with all these left foot questions. <laughs> he was actually surprised. I mean, he was flapping all oh, the no, Oh my God. Oh, where's this come from? It's like live story. Yeah, literally. Luckily, oh. I'm the editor, so I could edit my own one. You're you're in for a bit of trouble, I think. But um, <laughs> I, have, I have no directorial control. No, not oh, at no, all. Um, so Fantastic. yeah, essentially, the point of these is to try and give a bit more of a backstory, a little bit more context, or a bit more insight into people that you, the audience, may have come across online. Because you know, as much as we try and share our lives and what we do uh, via social media, it's only a very small percentage of our actual existence and often the stories behind the moments are way more interesting and uh, unfortunately it is true Paul that you are one of the oldest one of the titans <laughs> titans of the <laughs> online automotive world oldest, oldest yeah. <laughs> um, and and the story is is super interesting I think most people don't know especially mm. the origins how you started yeah. out and how you got uh, to the level that you did and uh, or, or are um, 
And yeah, I, I think it's great to be able to share that with people. So uh, we're hopefully not going to ask any questions that you don't want to answer. You don't have directorial uh, or editing. I not yes, I've, I've but, not had any questions pre-approved. No. I've not had anything said to me. <laughs> but you can say I choose not to answer that. At which point, Teddy will just go, you don't know. No, no. no you're answering it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. For sure. So yeah, so we're just going to dive in. And I think really we have to start at the beginning, because there'll be many people who have joined your your journey at different stages, mm. uh, in, in, myself included. But let's go <laughs> right back to the beginning. What was the what was the first YouTube video that you uploaded, and and why? I reckon the first video that I uploaded to YouTube was me jumping off a trampoline into a bush. <laughs> was that <laughs> two weeks from ago? the police? That sounds like your <laughs> yeah. life. Running from the police. <laughs> Listen, that sounds like it's Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I, was about, yeah. I was about 15. About right then, yeah. So yeah, that, was, the that, was, that was the content that I consumed on YouTube was those trampoline compilations because I had a trampoline in the garden. I was a little bit of a gymnast. So I was learning okay. I was learning tricks. I feel like we should pick up on that. But no, it Go on, you're a little so bit of a gymnast. I would, I, would, I would learn tricks and then film myself on the trampoline. And then that kind of evolved. <laughs> Don't know whether that's an evo- evolution. Into me jumping into bushes. And where, what, I'm assuming this wasn't Supercars of London that this was on. No, it wasn't. So that was on my first YouTube channel, which was called Sexy Man Bud Bud. Not Jackass. Hold on a sec. Don't, Sexy Man Bud Bud was your first, (laughs) I feel like we've almost gone too far back in time. I'm not sure. I mean, I I didn't even know this. No, I had no idea that (laughs) I was really hoping to start with the origins of Supercars of London. I'm finding this fascinating though, so let's keep diving into it. It's okay, so you're sort of circa 15 years old, YouTube's a thing, yeah. you're jumping into bushes, yeah. and yeah. you're like, wow, this is great. How did that evolve into, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do next week? Film, film Supercars. Film supercars. Um, so the Supercars came from a random summer holiday trip that I needed to do as a sort of pre-homework for my art GCSE. So myself and my dad went to London. We went to the V&A, the Victorian Albert Museum in central uh, South Kensington, actually. Lovely place. That's when I first saw... <laughs> That's when I saw... <laughs> <laughs> um, an Aston Martin DB9. Oh, what a car. And what I was like, whoa, I've never seen one of these in real life before. And then we walked past Lamborghini London. And I saw a Lamborghini Gallardo, like the first time I'd ever seen one of them in the flesh. And I was like, where am I? Like, all I thought was you could see these cars on Top Gear or in Nuts or Zoo. Do you remember those magazines? Oh, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, so I then decided to um, speak to my next door neighbour who was also into cars. And we would play Xbox, we'd play Project Gotham Racing, Need for Speed, all the classics. And um, I said, mate, I've just seen an Aston Martin and a Lamborghini. Same age as you? Yeah. Um, let's go to London next Saturday. So we got the train. I think we got the train to like Bond Street. Ended up walking down Park Lane and I saw a green Murcielago just drive up. And I was like, what is this world? I'm literally in a computer game, like my dream game. I was seeing these cars. But at the time I had a phone that had 0.3 megapixels on the, and it was just a camera, not a video camera. So I was like holding my phone up to this Lamborghini that was doing 40 miles an hour in the Park Lane. It would go... And the car had driven through the frame and I'd got a photo of a tree. (laughs) (laughs) And did you like cars at that point? I was going to say. Yeah, so cars came from Formula One. Okay. So the development has come from like my early, early passion going back to like when I was 
a real child. It was animals that came into birds, which you've both experienced. Birds went into aeroplanes. We have so, experienced sorry, birds, so, but we've experienced your passion for birds. <laughs> I think most people yeah. have experienced birds. No, 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 because it, it, birds that fly or birds, birds, birds that fly. Right, okay, fine. Yeah, because yeah. we've experienced both, right? Sorry, I should have been more yeah, precise yeah. because it is quite a quirky. We need to, but we quirky, need to come back to that for sure. That's, yeah. that's a later development in your life and where you've, where you've ended up with the much, channel. But much later as well. Yeah, but it's, it's a good question, Tony, that you asked because, you know, you say you go into London, you see DB9s, you see Mercy Luggers. So you knew what these cars were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, from, from planes, it went into Formula One because obviously the ages of like eight, nine, ten, your parents just latched onto anything any interest that you paid. So at Christmas, I was getting given Formula One VHS. I was getting given uh, car books. And it was a it was a car book that when I opened it, I saw a Murcielago. So that was a bit 2002. So I'd have been 11. So that really was when I dis- discovered like road cars existing mm-hmm. in, in that form. Um, my dad had like some ropey old Volvo and my mum had like a Peugeot. Like, so it really had never, I'd never been exposed to a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going into London four or five years later, having played Need for Speed and, and learning about all of these cars, YouTube was really in its infancy and there wasn't actually that much content other than people jumping out of trees into bushes it was like which, which you were also doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you were attempting to take photos on your dodgy phone mm-hmm. not taking very good photos skip ahead skip us forward to to you know yeah i guess changing that into well let, let's film them uh, and sort of why was there ever a sort of why were you filming why did you decide to make that sort of transition i filmed them to relive the moment so i wanted to watch them back so any opportunity i got to capture a loud supercar, which was really where my passion for Lamborghinis came from, because they were the loudest, driven by absolute lunatics. Um, so every time we saw a Lamborghini, the majority of the time, I got a good video out of it. So I'd go home and I'd just sit there and watch it whilst my dad and brother would watch a football match. I was sitting there like re-watching the stuff that I'd recorded that day. I then started to run out of memory on my phone. So I uploaded it to my family computer, which then started to run out of memory and start to really slow down. And like, the only way that I could then release the storage on the computer was upload it to YouTube. Okay, so YouTube was always basically a storage facility yeah, for you. Yeah, it was a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ahead of its time. Uh, and so did you, uh, did you brand it? Did you name it? Was it still Sexy It was sexy still Sexy Bud? Man Bud Bud. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. Like I cannot like that. believe that, honestly. Sex I mean, if I, I wish I'd knew that before. And before, so before all that, well, probably not, Best to talk about your background too, in terms of your upbringing. But your are you from, were you from a, a privileged background or a normal background or a poor background? Had you been exposed to these kind of cars? Yeah. What what what, what was your actual bringing up upbringing background? I would I would say like a, a fairly normal, okay, a fairly normal upbringing. Um, so my mum worked um, in, a, in a school or did she work at play? I think she worked in a play group. Yeah. And my, and my dad had a full-time job. He worked for the council. Yeah. Um, so we lived in, my mum still lives in a semi-detached house that I grew up in for the majority of my life. Yeah. Um, and I basically got a job at, I think I got a job at 15 doing a paper round. So that was really like the first time I started to um, earn my own money. Yeah. 
which I would spend on Xbox games every single week. I got paid like 25 quid a week. So I'd just go back in, exchange the game that I bought the week before because I'd completed it, mm-hmm. put my 25 pound in on top of the game and then I'd just take another game. So it was probably like, that was, um, yeah, I went to like a normal school. I played a lot of sport. Like my mum pretty much dedicated the summer holiday for me and my brother to go and do, we did six tennis tournaments every summer. So yeah. our summer holiday was six weeks we would literally do six tennis tournaments. Um, but yeah, like if we were to go out for a, to a restaurant, it was because it was someone's birthday. Um, I wouldn't say that we had a, an excessive upbringing, but I wouldn't say that we necessarily had a, like a- you Didn't live on beans on toast. No, 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 no. That, that was uni. <laughs> which, I, which I did at some point. But, but yeah. it's, it's interesting to listen because obviously you two have come from completely different backgrounds, yet you find yourself as really good pals and and you, you work in the same space. You, yeah. do, you do the same thing. So For sure. in a roundabout, what, you've come from completely different circles and they're met in the middle. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I think, you know, again, maybe we'll dive into this at some point, you know, we have completely different opinions on cars and lots of things in <laughs> yeah. life, but I think that's sometimes why friendships work. But I think, I think what I also see as interesting from that is that w- w- was the part of the fascination, you know, these cars are on the road and look at the cars, or was it these people own these cars and they're driving them around and I've never seen this part of life? Because you say you come from what you consider a fairly normal upbringing. So does that mean that there weren't DB9s and Mercy Largos cruising around your neighbourhood? <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, where, yeah. Where, was the fascination think, the cars or the people in the cars? Did you want to be them people, essentially? Yeah. I, I think it was a combination of both. Because okay. firstly, to, to see the cars in the flesh, it's the same as going to watch a live football match versus seeing it on the TV. It was like a live show that I had in front of me, especially during the summer when the cars came over from the Middle East. But then we started to get to know some of the people because we were in London every single weekend. I would be literally like in like really basic clothes, like running after these cars. No change there then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the, the stark contrast between uh, the normal clientele that was walking down Sloan Street of wearing a fur coat or a suit or going to these flashy events. And then all of a sudden they've got this kid run past them going, oh my God, like who's he just robbed? It was kind of like, I kind of felt like that's what you I got. a mugger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me and my friends were like, guys, keep, keep your stuff together. Yeah. I must character. have ran past him and- Check your, check your check your phone check your pockets guys he's, he's running down the road with the phone is that yours <laughs> um, talking talking no, uh, uh, but anyway um so there was a, there was definitely a couple of characters that we saw on a regular basis that were obviously locals to knightsbridge mayfair um that we saw were young mm-hmm. driving cool ferraris lamborghinis that i then started to question what they did where did they, where did they get their money from or or how cool would it be to have that car at that age that's where my first goal really came from so i was probably 16 or 17 years old and i just set myself a goal that i'd have a lamborghini by 25 and i'd tell all of my friends at school and again they didn't come from wealthy backgrounds and they all just laughed at me like honestly what are you talking about that's not a thing man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um so i saw the guys in london driving around in the supercars as a bit of inspiration and motivation um to then set my own goals did you think how you would be no. able to achieve that okay, <laughs> no so you just set yourself that yeah, goal but yeah, you yeah. weren't like i'm gonna go in the city and make a ton of money yeah, yeah it was just yeah. i'm gonna achieve I've, that goal and i'll figure out how yeah to i probably set that goal and then went and bought lottery tickets thinking that was like the <laughs> easiest way of doing it and i was convinced when i turned 16 because that's the age you can play the lottery or 
maybe it still is. I don't know. It was anyway, then. Yeah. Yeah. So um, as soon as I turned 16, my first lottery ticket I bought, I bought and was convinced I was going to win. I was like, this is going to be a Daily Mail story. Well, you were stupid then as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd spend the money. I was like, I'm going to have this car. I'm going to have that car. Does that yeah. <laughs> he literally does that now. He gets a call from a brand. We're going to do this great campaign. <laughs> Guys, I'm buying an SPJ. <laughs> um, okay, so you had this kind of goal that you'd set for yourself. You were fascinated by this world of cars, supercars driving around on the streets, but you were also then incredibly sporty and mm. sort of focusing in that direction. The videos that you were uploading to YouTube to you know, use as a cloud storage device, were they getting viewed by anyone else? Were you sharing them anywhere? Like, no. like what, what, what was going on in that side of things? Obviously they were public, as in if you went in and typed in Lamborghini or something, the video would come up. I would probably tell one or two people at school, hey, check out this car that I saw because it was a bit of, it was quite a nerdy thing to do back then. Whereas all of my friends in the football team on the weekend were borrowing their older brother's fake ID, going down, getting a few beers or whatever down the park and, and having all, an all pulling an all nighter. Um, whereas I was getting an early night because I wanted to go to London the next day. So I was charging my phone up or like at some point my video camera. Um, but I couldn't tell anyone. It was like the most embarrassing thing being at school, like trying to figure your own way out trying to work out who you are and one of the things that i love doing i was almost embarrassed by standing around on street corners filming yeah. people drive their cars yeah yeah, yeah yeah probably at that point as well maybe because it was so early on it probably had the same stigmatism as like a train spotter or something like that you know yeah, like where yeah. you, where although actually i i don't think train spotting is a it's similar to cars now. It's really huge. Mm. But back then it was like, oh, look at that geek. Like, yeah, it wasn't a, train, a thing, yeah. right? Like yeah. it, it wasn't a thing. There wasn't really a, well, social media was in its infancy and car spotting wasn't really known of. So you must've been one of very few people. Mm. And that was kind of what I was going to come on to then is, is you and, and you said your friend that you would go into town with, were you the only people there? What did you yeah, yeah, bump yeah. into other, okay, you just, just you two yeah, walking yeah. around, seeing cars. Yeah filming it or photographing it, uploading it for storage and going home and being like, oh, that was a great weekend. Yeah. I saw yeah. Mercy a while ago. Like, I couldn't have felt more self-conscious doing it as well. Okay. So because there's so much to get through, <laughs> let's, let's, jump, let's jump forward. Let's jump forward a little bit because I, what I really want to understand is how do we go from this, you know, clear passion, clear, you're right, slightly niche hobby, mm. which seems to be almost like a sort of, uh, yeah, a side interest to what you're really doing in your life, which is sports and mm. school and things like that. At what point do you start to see that as something you want to do more of? Do you see growth on the channel? When does Supercars of London theoretically sort of begin? Supercars of London. Sorry. Before you answer that, yeah. let's get a bit about education first because that normally develops into, if you go start to go to the job bit, because that that's... But, that's where you're heading towards now, right? Yeah, you're right. But I think there's going to be a big crossover, right? Yeah, time-wise. Because yeah. he, was, he was only 15 or 16 when he was telling us about going in anyway. So you left school at 16? No, no, no. So I, I stayed on. I did um, A-levels up until 18. Took a year out. So I took a, a like a gap year. Even though... Uh, Chundered everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> on the gun jump. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I went I went to uni. So when I went to uni in my first year, everyone else in my year pretty much 
was the year below me. Right. Um, and then did three years at uni, graduated. And, and yeah, there is a, there is a bit of a crossover um, because basically I can't remember in what year it was when Google bought YouTube, but it was around that time when Google it. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my computer's been playing up to that. I use my, I use my phone. I use my phone. When basically they announced that they would start paying people to upload videos to YouTube. Right. But you was fairly new into your journey at that point. 2006. 2006. So yeah, I was literally, I was 15. Yeah. So maybe I'd been uploading to YouTube maybe 18 months. All oh, right. Um, so that's when Supercars of London was born. The moment that they announced there was a partnership opportunity where you could be paid to upload, it was the obvious progression. Right. Because we were doing it anyway. But, but you must have been getting views because it, yeah, it was just yeah, you yeah, and your yeah. mate. So, so you must have been getting, what, 10, 15, 50, 100 views? Uh, yeah, I would say between 50 and 1,000 views. I mean, that's pretty nuts at a infancy of youtube yeah. for some random spots so it was yeah it was it was it was more so like i was telling my mates hey go and check this check this video out like go and go on youtube later and watch this video so then i would go on youtube later to see whether he watched it because then i'll be able to work out well i watched it seven times and it's got seven views so if he's watched it it's got eight views and i'd go back on it's got 52 and i was like who's watched this yeah. like where where, okay. where, where, okay. where where is the audience coming from um and I then sat down with Zach, who was at the time best friend, next door neighbour. We basically did everything together. So we were going into London and we both loved the, th it was, there was a thrill of going into London and not knowing what you were going to see. And on a good day, you might see two Lamborghinis, five Ferraris, a couple of Aston Martins. On a bad day, you might not see anything. And you'd go home, having spent your entire day, walked about 10 miles and got, not got a new video on your phone. Um... And so we sat down, we submitted this YouTube partnership form in which was basically a business plan. So you had to tell them how much you were going to invest, how much time you were going to spend, what, really? your, what your targets were in terms of subscribers and views, how many videos were you going to upload. It was a real process. That to, you YouTube. Had to, go through, to YouTube. To YouTube. Oh, to apply right. to their partner program. Right. right. Yeah. It was basically, we had to submit a, a business plan to them as to how hard we were going to work and whether that was enough for them to accept us onto the program. So it was a real like first evolution of what we know YouTube to be today. And um, that was when Supercars of London was born. So I shut down Sexy Man Bud Bud. I think it still exists. I Showing. hope so. We're I think it still exists. Everyone there get, aren't any, on there, there now, aren't yeah. any videos on there. Okay. Um, but basically um, we then re-uploaded all of our previous content that we had shot over the last two years to Supercars of London just to populate it. Cause we were like, at least we'll have like 150 videos on the channel to start off with so that we can at least start generating some momentum and money. And this was around the time where I would have been 16, 17. So I had a job at next. So I was basically selling home furniture. Um, and I was like, if I can like earn a little bit more than what I earn at next with YouTube, like that'd be cool. Did you think that was possible? Like, what, so those early days, did they give you any indication of what your earnings could be? No, they didn't give you an, of what it could be. What they did say is the minimum amount of money that you have to earn before they pay out is sixty pounds. Okay, so you had to earn sixty pounds, and then per after video. that, no, 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 in uh, general, uh, right. in general, um, and I reckon it probably took four months to, to earn sixty pounds. To, to, to earn sixty pound. Okay, and how much were you uploading at that point? Um, we were probably going into London and I would say on average, 
uploading three videos, four videos a weekend. And what were those videos? I mean, is it 12-minute vlogs? Or? No, 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 no. <laughs> F- like 15-second raw clips. Start, the car drives past, stop, upload it. Okay. And you were paid per view or per minute then? How was YouTube? Uh, it, was, it was per view. Right. It was really basic. Right. And okay. I don't even think there was much of an algorithm. Okay. Right. You put it out there, your subscribers saw it, and if you search for it, you also saw it. Right. And so you say subscribers, you'd launched this. So you got approved on the partner program. They came out and said, tick. You had this channel. It was a new channel. So Sexy Man Bud Bud's audience. Yeah. Uh, had, was, to, had to transfer. So, so how, how did you do that? Like, Because you, you're starting all over again. I mean, the thought for me right now in this current climate of YouTube, it would have been terrifying to be like, mm. I'll start a whole new channel. So how did you build that audience? Did they know that content? How did you get those views again? Just uploaded. Just uploaded. And just had to start again. And but, I, on, on Sexy Man Bubba, I had one video that had 14,000 views. Yeah. Okay. But like you said, it was completely different than the way it operated. So you, you probably, it was probably the best thing you'd done by by just, you know, loading a load of videos on. Yeah. As yeah. in just to get you going kind mm. of thing, you know? Mm. And we just thought that Supercars of London was the obvious name. We played around with all sorts of different names, but we just thought it literally did exactly what it said it would. Mm. It was supercars in London. And at that time, we didn't know what else was going to go <laughs> what else was going to go on. So you don't, yeah, or you'd cross that barrier of the first 60 pounds. Mm. Uh, 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 so we, we passed that. I mean, how regularly is money coming in there? Like, <laughs> you know, four months to get 60 quid. I reckon, I reckon it took probably the first year, I reckon we probably earned 200 to 300 quid. You okay. got half with your mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. half. Um, he's got half so his mate. Then, out of nowhere... Just two pairs of trainers. So you're back to front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a nice okay. day out. Yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> we, um, we ended up having two videos on YouTube.com homepage. Oh, wow. So Is that you, good? I mean, you that- were, so anyone in the world type in youtube.com at the time you would be fed two supercars of london videos all oh, right one of a ferrari enzo and one of a bugatti veyron and those videos went from 500 views to 100,000 views in about two weeks wow. Oh, yeah. right. wow and so th- what this was toward, towards the end of the year or like this yeah just- it was around december time okay mm. and did they earn money or they, yeah, they yeah, just they, got big views? i reckon i reckon in december we earned like 1200 quid oh wow yeah okay Matt had a massive job i'm quitting next <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and how and how old was supercars of london at that point when you it got to been, december it, it would how old was supercars of london um maybe even maybe even a year right so in the first year essentially yeah right okay and yeah. were subscribers a thing at that time were you building subscribers did, did it matter or I, you were I, just I, views I, per video it was for me it was views per video Subscribers were a thing. I just, I wouldn't even be able to pick numbers out of the air as to where we were. Um, all I remember, I think coming out of university in 2013, I reckon I was around 45, 50,000. So you're still at uni at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So we're in this kind of period where suddenly now there's monetary value to the videos. Okay. Small theoretically, but there's potential. You've mm. seen a couple of videos. I, I, I would definitely say go viral at that early yeah. stage. Yeah. You're doing it with Zach. So are you spending more and more time dedicated? Are you sort of waking up thinking about supercars of London or have you still got the other hobbies, uni, sport, things like that? I was, I was still doing a lot of sport, but I would always look for an opportunity to go to London. For me, that was weirdly my biggest passion 
And it was, again, it was, it was the thrill of not knowing what you were going to see. The reason why I'm saying that now is because when Instagram was introduced, everything changed. Oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Join us in partnership. <laughs> um, it's a very interesting thing. And I think this is why your story in particular is so fascinating because it really crosses over so many mm. the eras mm. of social media, but also especially within this automotive space. So... We're so let, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're kind of now approaching the sort of end of your uni life or sort of midway through yeah, uni. Yeah. Um, have you now got competitors? Do you, did you, Shmi must have yeah, been so sort of on the scene at this point. Tim, Tim was, Tim was around, um, I would say throughout uni. I definitely remember him, him being uh, like prominent around uni so every single holiday that i had which when you go to uni is quite a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> every I, thursday I, I was i was literally going to london okay so I, I i wouldn't come home i'd barely see anyone so i had all of my friends at uni who then just dispersed and went back to their homes which was all around the uk i still had some school friends um but i would literally just go to london as a hobby, like like yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. As a, as a hobby, so you're just purely doing it because you just loved it. You yeah. just loved going. Yeah. Uh, was there ever a thought of I I need to feed content to YouTube or I want to get a video with no. big views? No, no, no. The only time that I started to feel that was once I left uni. I kind of felt like I was in this little um, inflatable safety net at university, where I was like, I'm going through education. I'll get a degree. I'll come out. I'll do something with it whilst I'm going to London because I love going to see the cars. And what happened? You come out of uni. So did you get a degree? There was, a, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, yeah, I did get a degree. Well done. There was a, there was a moment. I think I was watching, I can't remember what it was. I was in a lecture at university and this light bulb just flicked. I walked out of the lecture. Because oh, I was drop like, mic moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I literally was watching. It was a video, and I, it was um, I can't remember if it was Peter Jones. It felt like it was one of the dragons who was being interviewed, and he said something. I can't really remember what it is, but I was like, oh my god, I'm sat on something here, and I need to do something about it. Mm. And I went home and I wrote a business plan for Supercars of London. For Supercars of London. So you'd spent all that time at uni. Three years? Three years. Three years yeah. at yep. uni. You come out, you come out of uni with a degree. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. I mean, I can't even spell degree. <laughs> Not me neither, man. That's yeah. not my, No, I didn't I have a degree. I, no, no, no. But you, I can spell it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if he can't, he'll get someone who can. <laughs> my butler can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you come out and with this degree. Did you have a path of, of where you wanted to go next? As in... What did you, did you think? Right, I now pursue the career that I studied, or was it? Oh my god, the light bulb moment! I need to pursue YouTube. I need to pursue YouTube. Right, fine. So I literally packed up my stuff on the final day. Once I'd done my exams, I packed up my my things from uni into my Vauxhall Astra and, oh, yeah. dro and drove straight to Central London to create content and filmed. Yeah. So, so you that, was, that was April. That was April twenty thirteen. I went to London every day from midday till 2, 3 a.m. until end of September that uh, year. Uploading a video every day. Uploading videos. Um, and then it got to September and I started to realise I wasn't going to live off the content I'd just created in the summer. I needed to sustain a level of content output through the winter when the weather was bad. Okay, so you were starting to understand the financial 
algorithm or beast that was YouTube. Yeah. So you were starting to see patterns in earnings and you sort of start to realize, okay, I've got to achieve a certain number of views to reach um, this kind of money or, or? Yeah, yeah. I started to, I started to realize what I needed to do to sort of like baseline earn 800 to a thousand. I would imagine it was fairly stable then, right? Because it was, it was probably not complicated like it is now. So yeah. was it, was, you know, your monthly income was probably fairly stable as in you could probably rely on it. I know you boys can't now because it's a shit show. Mm. But, <laughs> but, yeah, well no, said, Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is back then, because it was simple. It, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, so you touched on a second ago that you you sort of gone home after your light bulb moment and written up a business plan. Mm. So so what was that? So w- was that to get investment? Was that to build out the channel? Like what was that business plan for? What were it, you going to use it for? It was more it was more of a, a content plan. Okay, I thought that I needed to create more f- what felt like a TV series. I'd looked at Top Gear and I'd looked at Fifth Gear, and I liked shifting towards top gear that felt like it was about jeremy james and richard and they had the cars whereas fifth gear it was all about the cars like you learned a lot about the cars on fifth gear top gear was it felt more of an entertainment show and that's kind of where my passion lied with creating car content i wanted to somehow involve my journey in with the cars because up until this point, it was still just short clips of cars driving yes. past. Had the content evolved at all? It was not at all. Okay, not so it's still just like twenty seconds, a minute, maybe long clips yeah. of yeah. a car driving. Just drive bys, literally yeah. drive bys. So yeah. revs. Uh, the only the only sort of evolution of that content was I managed to stitch between like ten and fifteen clips together, and I'd do like the best sounds of the Ferrari Enzo. Okay, and so you get to see 10, 15 clips of that. And and at that point, you weren't you wasn't talking or face on camera or nothing like that because no. I, I know from Sam he spoke long before he started to show his face mm. so was that the same for you no 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 the the moment where i put my face on camera shmi had told me about a week before in london you need you need to be on camera right so okay so wait let me dive into that straight away yeah. so so had you and Tim then started to build up a relationship? What was your yeah, so, interactions to that point? So up, how did you meet? Um, we would have bumped into each other in, in London. But even at that time, he didn't know who Supercars of London was. And no one did. So <laughs> everyone was kind of now... Cu- no st- change there, either. <laughs> <laughs> there was more people. Like, we're bypassing the, um, the growth in car spotting. Um, because for many years, it really was me and Zach. Mm. Every now and again, there'd be a couple of others that would pop up who we became friendly with. And then as it started to evolve, you may have 10 car spotters in London. Uh, but again, we weren't really going around as a, as a gang. We would be individually walking around and every now and again, you'd bump in, you'd see another camera and be like, oh, cool. Like, Spot, spotters or yeah, photographers? Uh, a mixture. Right, okay. Um, the likes of Alex Penfold, Tim, myself, Zach, and there was a few others who you'd then just go, oh, hey, like, what's your YouTube channel? And they'd tell you their YouTube channel. And they'd be like, what's yours? And say, oh, Supercars of London. Oh, no way. Like, that's you. Like, so there was this real, like, almost like um, non-identity. To Mystique the, to, to, to the, the channel. Brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I know, I know a funny story about this, that very early on, maybe it was Zach, was 
trolling Tim a little bit, right? In a yeah, oh, he, was, he, was, he was so aggressive. As in, like, really? this is our competitor. And, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. and Tim was like, who is this supercars <laughs> yeah, yeah. of London? Like, attack, and sort of had this negative connotation. Yeah. So then when he finally met you, he was like, bro, why are you so horrible to me? <laughs> and I was there like, what, mate? What? what? Like, yeah, yeah, what are you on about? I, I remember yeah, hearing that story. Um, and when, when me and Zach decided to... I was so heavily driven um, by YouTube and I had this plan. I had this business plan and Zach went to university in York, which is a long way away. So he didn't have the same flexibility and luxury of being able to access London. So when we decided that I would then take supercars to London and go on and, and crack on, one of the things that I had to do, and I'm sure Zach won't mind me saying this, was I basically had to message a lot of people <laughs> to say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because like when we were like 17, 18 and this, this money started to come in. Going like, in on everybody. He was such a troll. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, we probably did gloss past the fact that, you know, you, you'd taken the channel on by yourself at this point. So yes. you, once you'd started it as a hobby together, um, you know, this was now becoming your kind of baby. And so you and Tim had bumped into each other. Uh, Oh, the sort of on a terms of level or scale, where was Supercars London versus Schmidt? Because you must have been still two of the biggest channels, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, uh, we must have been, sim I think we were similar on subscribers, but because I had this huge catalogue of videos with a couple of viral videos in there as well, especially um, the video, I think it's called Worlds. Is it Worlds Dumbest Rich Man or something crazy like that? One of the first like m super clickbait videos. No, uh, we didn't make to about Father's Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't give yourself that kind of plaudit. <laughs> You're not that rich. You are that dumb. Right, yeah, yeah. That's the, it was the dumb bit I was thinking yeah. of. <laughs> but um, obviously Tim had, Tim went from an Audi S5 to, did he go to the Aston Martin next into the so. R8? Yeah. I met him, right. I met him when he had the R8. That was the first time when I met him. Okay. Um, and we went, I, I met up with him um, we jumped into the R8 and he took me for a spin. And that was like the first time that we had both really spent a lot of time together um, face to face. But then we went back and got the Abarth because actually he preferred driving the Abarth because it was easier to nip around with. And when we were in that, we were driving nearly around Harrods and, he, and we were talking about YouTube. And he said, oh, like the, the best thing you can do is actually talk and show your face on camera. So he must have seen some engagement from that. He must, there must have been something which he was tracking and saying that's a success route. Because yeah. if you were on similar numbers and you had these viral videos, surely you were like, oh no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good cracking on what, with what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because at this point still, it was a secret to so many people, even, even people at uni. Especially your mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that was the one thing that I was terrified by, putting my face on camera and actually like revealing myself. It's being a on, nerd. To, to, to be like me behind Supercars of London. I was terrified of what all of my mates would think. And actually it's the only thing that I can probably relate to as in coming into this space where you both said exactly the same thing. The best thing you can do for me was to put me on camera. Mm. And it was 100% right. Because and then I become the face of the business from that point. So it's the only thing I can relate because it's not my world. I've come into it. So, um, but yeah, I can relate on, to that. Yeah, on, on social, it's, um, it's, it's personality driven. Yeah. And, and from a brand's point of view, if you look at the likes of Adidas or Nike, to everyone they're just a logo yeah and there are incredible people and characters behind the brand who who fundamentally run run it mm. um but it's so hard to relate because you have no idea who they are 
And that's why they pay celebrities huge amounts of money to endorse or advertise their yeah, so their products. Associate exactly people. To you go, the brand. oh, I like Justin Bieber, so I'll go and buy that Balenciaga. Case. Or YouTubers <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or YouTubers now. Yeah, who knows? Um, okay, okay. So we're 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 getting to a point now where is it is it your full time job or it's no. okay? So it's but you've left uni. I've left uni. You're giving it your all because yeah. you see that there's an opportunity. Did you have a job? I had created. Um, within within the sort of the the business that I'd created that I called YouTube, um, I also offered like a consultancy. It was it, I was basically a social media consultant, right? To car brands, so that I could run their pages through my pages, which were growing. It was mainly Twitter and YouTube, which is where SB Race Engineering came along, where I would help them guide their pages to more followers okay so just to tap into that for those who aren't social media adept uh so you what you're saying is you would say to sb race engineering right pay me a consultancy fee and then i will shout out sb race engineering on my supercars of london pages i'll, I'll come and to the business send an audience I'll take, to you. i'll take your photos i'll upload them to your instagram i will then share your posts on my pages um and it became somewhat of a full-time job because i was able to bring four or five um companies in um that helped facilitate the youtube ad revenue which obviously fluctuated month to month okay so whilst creating content for your yeah. platform at the same time yeah right okay so it was a win-win from you you got a more stable income you were on a sort of retainer almost with these smaller smaller companies these, these yeah. were sort of small independent yeah, companies yeah, yeah. um which i say then also were giving you opportunities to create content uh so how many do you think you had you said for four four or five of these trickling along or? yeah okay yeah. um and without being rude what uh um, what were you offering? Do you like, want me to ask this? No, because <laughs> I'll just come out and say it. If you no, want. As in, why were these companies trusting you? Like, like, so what were your numbers? What was your because you were still theoretically a young kid in a mm. new space with not necessarily a massive thing to back you up. How did you manage to convince these companies to pay you money? I think I had around. I tell you how. I t I tell you exactly how I convinced them. <laughs> I, I I thought that it was my it was my way of affording a supercar. So what I actually said to them was I sold them fundamentally thin air by saying, I'm going to buy a supercar and I will put your logo on the car as like a Formula One race livery and I'll drive it around on my YouTube channel that's got 75,000 subscribers, which at that time was, was big in the automotive space. You started to grow by this point. And, and, and yeah, and I, but I'd, I had no way of, of, of buying this car. So to me, the best way of doing that was have four or five different companies that could pay me a small retainer that would then equate to enough money to pay a monthly payment on a car. Okay. That's how my first supercar came about. So fundamentally, I managed to build a consultancy business that, that funded the monthly payments for the Audi R8. And, and their thought was, we're going to get some, we're going to have a guy running our social media, we're going to get some exposure, and we're going to have a sort of moving billboard going around the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, okay, so it makes a bit more sense mm. as to why someone would buy into it. Um, still, you know, it's impressive, I think, business acumen, wouldn't you agree, Tony? For, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At that point, you know, the resource and the, and the thought to go and do that and also convince someone because, heck, even today, we struggle to convince oh, yeah. I companies. To I still walk into meetings now and feel inferior because of my age uh, uh, 
and the industry we're in. You know, yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of companies yeah. and individuals still don't understand social yeah, media. Yeah. And so we're going back, what, this is what, 2015? Uh, 2000, no, it would have been 2013, 2014. I mean, this was a time when social media and YouTube, this was a very new era. And yeah. as you say, 75,000 subscribers made you a big, big channel within the space, but still it's, it's an unknown space. So yeah. to convince small independent companies to, to give you a bit of money, I think is, is impressive. And it's definitely when I first noticed or knew about the channel, the My First Supercar oh, series. The, the RA, I still think, is probably, in, in my history on YouTube, the, the biggest turning point in terms of, it was a dream of mine always to, to document the life of, of owning a supercar. Because I'd seen it in, in, on YouTube. And I thought, if I had a car on my driveway, I have got content sitting on my driveway. I can film anything with that car. No one would have seen it before. And it gives people an insight, like me three or four years ago, into what it's like to own that car. So that was really where the motivation came from my first supercars. Like, rather than going to London and hope that I'm going to see anything, it was... I can I can have something on my driveway and then create a series of content on my own car. And the R8 really was that that starting point. So up until that point your your so your sole goal would have been I need to earn enough money to get the supercar, yeah, right? Because yeah. that was your dream 25, you wanted to earn that money. Once you'd achieved that You've got your supercar now. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where was your? Did you have a goal at that point, or did you think right? What, what you know? Where did you take it from there? Where do you go from there? The the goal was always Lambo by twenty five. Okay. So the R eight really for me was a stepping stone. How old was you when you got the R eight? Twenty three. Fine. Twenty three. Um, it was a V8 one, wasn't it? Yeah. It's technically not a supercar. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I knew you were going to say that. Even at the time, there, wasn't, there, was, there, there was definitely people that didn't that, that said that. There was, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of people that said that. Um, but I still wanted the Lamborghini. So I bought the R8. I ran it. I reckon I probably ran it for about six months before I started to come up with uh, a way in which I could make more money. And he was earning enough money to, to, to run it as well, just, by the way. Right, okay. Just. Because that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, again, blind confidence in the sense of, right, this is, this is the content angle that I need to push this channel further forward and keep growing it. I need to get a supercar. So firstly, how did you know about the financing? But secondly, like, right, I was going to go and find someone else to pay for my financing. I'm going to find these companies and, and just figure it out. Was there moments of doubt or questioning? Or? Every day. Okay. And actually, I'd like to add to that. Without being too personal, how the flipping hell did you fund a supercar at 23, mate? That was yeah, exactly. I yeah. think yeah. that's, probably the, that's probably the title of my podcast. Oh, go on. What were we saying? Is it my dad's name? Uh, oh, right. Oh. I, can so get, is it, I can get finance. Okay. So, so you're your, a rich kid then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes out. The truth. Here we go. Yeah. Paul's dad's hate for everything. <laughs> so it was in his name. And I guess you said to your dad, like, dad, like, I've got these four sponsors. I, no, I've got I, the money I, coming I, in. I set up a standing order. Okay. So for the for the day that the money came out of my dad's account, it, it went back in. I hope he wasn't as hard to convince as he was as he's. I was going to say, how did that come? Because I can imagine, given what you said at the beginning of the episode, going to your dad, I'm like, Dad, I'm buying an Audi R8. Uh, he, was, he must have been like, what? You're mad. We sat down. I basically had to, I had to pitch it to him. Get him drunk. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to pitch it to him as, as another business plan. As in, this was how I was going to take my business to the next level. Um, I got a small loan of one million dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he he was, to be fair, very supportive. 
he had no idea whether he was going to get the loan approved as in like the finance agreement approved or if he was going to lose his house (laughs) (laughs) that would be a very different episode today wouldn't it (laughs) the guy who tried to launch supercars in London (laughs) so so there was not only not only uh, a horrendous gut feeling of I've just taken my own risk the the biggest risk I've ever taken from a business point of view but also from a personal point of view because business and personal overlaps so much um and consumes your entire life but I was also I had this huge weight over my shoulder as well that I also like could not I couldn't not let this succeed because otherwise it's like also going to affect my dad and the family, yeah. Well, that's the disappointment bit. As in, your, your dad's took the risk at that point on you, Yeah, yeah. by the way, mm. on your say-so. Um, but but the reason why you didn't want it to to fail was was the, the disappointing that your mum and dad would have been in you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so you said that the R8 you think is still the sort of, even today, the biggest sort of moment in Supercars of London it's, history or, or the yeah. turning point at least. Yes, in, t- in terms of like the interactions that I have on a daily basis with people all over the world. Um, that was still the key. Yeah. So I must have met you, I don't know, not too long into that journey because mm. the, the R8 was blue. You must have had it for six, nine, maybe even 12. Did you keep the car that uh, long? But yeah, yeah, I kept it for 18 months. Yeah, so I, I met you at some point in that journey. And between sort of when I met you, your channel was already on quite a big upspring you know I, I discovered it with the the start of that sort of journey i probably was already aware of shmi there weren't too many other sort of what we would call supercar vloggers or or vloggers filming a car world over and above evos and chris harris on cars and stuff like that so you know i was aware of tim i was aware of you um but in that period from when you bought the r8 really into going into garda maybe amg mm. i think your channel it's fair to say really exploded right yeah, you know yeah. i mean so Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tim at this point had probably taken quite a few steps on from yeah, you. So yeah. he was what, 300,000 subscribers, something like this at that point? Yeah, I reckon, I reckon he was he was around the half a million mark. Okay. Um, and I remember I hit 100,000, took about six years to hit 100,000 subscribers. Six years to hit 100,000, that's yeah. mad, isn't and it? And then it took an extra four months. So it took six years and four months to get another 100,000. On what year was it you two met? 2016, 2015? No, no, no. 2015. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, 2015. 2015. 2015. Um, and yeah, for sure, from the moment I met you, and we're going to move now into the what I'm going to call your daily vlogging era. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you know, your channel just absolutely seemed to blow mm. up. And, you know, uh, it's in my head, I always refer to it as you went from 150,000 subscribers to 350,000 subscribers in the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a sort of mad and wild time. And I suppose for you, as you saw this crazy growth and your channel evolved into yeah daily vlogging content, you were now an owner, uh, well, at least of an R8, maybe you'd bought the Lambo, you'd achieved your goal. The, 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 cross, the-, the crossover period between, because I started to daily vlog right at the end of my ownership of the R8. Okay. And what inspired that? Where did that decision come from? It came from seeing, um, seeing YouTubers daily vlog. And I didn't realize it. Non car YouTubers. Non car YouTubers, yeah. And I didn't realize at the time what I'd actually created because for six years I'd not shown my face. And then all of a sudden I've come out of nowhere and, and got this supercar and, and documented super, super car? Audi R8 ownership. <laughs> car. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sports car. Slow and, sports car. And, um, I think there was I think there was an, an appetite that I I didn't identify I didn't identify the appetite but I think people were just intrigued into my life and I had I had thousands of questions every week on what what do I what do I do to get that car how did you do it and there was this crazy almost tsunami of interest um into everything that I did and for about a month and a half, I basically filmed everything. I filmed myself eating breakfast. I filmed myself in bed. Do you remember the uh, really? photocopying episode? At I SP? remember. I remember the photocopying. It's a brutal episode. episode yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all sat through it. Though. <laughs> and I think. And I think I discovered an algorithm in YouTube. That was the first time that I realised what was going on because this was when um, you got paid per minute watched, and my ad revenue went from. I would say maybe like two thousand um, to to seven eight times that per in, month in a month. Okay. So you, so then so was it at that point? It's it's then turned from a hobby into a business, or you know? No, did, I, I I even even then I was still thinking this is just you still had a job then a load of fun. Good- no, there was a there was a turning point around the daily vlog time i was still at sb a lot mm-hmm. and um i still i still helped them out a lot but there was a turning point when i shifted the r8 because i basically sold it for what i paid for it and that was really the amazing um, uh, moment where i realized that i had all of the money from paying the finance um 
over that 18 month period in the R8 that I was going to get back. And that was how I was able to get and your deposit and yeah. And the deposit, which mm. I was able to then push into the Lamborghini. And that was how I was able to get the Lamborghini. Um, it was around then that I then had to basically tell everyone because we did a two week road trip mm-hmm. um, in the Gallardo F type uh, in his GT4 um, that I then said, I'm going to give this a go. So that was really, oh, right. that was the first time. So you knew each other when he really went balls yeah, deep. Yeah, when, when, when we met, you were definitely still working. With, yeah, definitely with SB, but, but also I feel like a few others. Like you, you had responsibilities. I don't think I remember you saying to me, I'm giving it all up. But what I was going to say is I, I noticed, I think you had a real enthusiasm for creating these vlogs at that time i think there was an excitement about around you about what you were doing there was an interest in everything going on you had i think a unique uh, perspective of stuff whilst shmi has always been shmi and stayed true to shmi and his content today is the same as it was 10 years ago and that's what made his channel so strong you know you were very fresh and, and i think people found that exciting but, but you genuinely seemed to buzz off it you know you were fresh of ideas fresh of perspective fresh of angles at that time. So I don't think I saw you being like, oh, I'm going to give that up and do this. You just seem like a sort of yeah. bit of a bundle of YouTube energy at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon for at least the first two months um, of daily vlogging, it was it was that. And then I started to re- realise just how unsustainable that life is. As a lifestyle. Yeah. So uh, just to jump it on that, because I think it's less and less daily vlog now, but most people, this audience are very good at understanding it, but yeah, your day was consumed with what am I going to film? Start filming it, film all day, edit it, go to sleep, start oh, the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, there were there were there were random random Saturdays or Sundays where we didn't have any plans. Obviously, at the time, I was with my girlfriend, um, and literally, I'd be like, "We got to do something. Like, we got to get up. We got to film." And so we'd go and play mini golf, and then we'd go to the trampoline park, and I'd film it all because I'd drive the R8 there, and that was the video. And then I'd go to bed. I'd wake up at about eight o'clock in the morning. I'd edit it till nine thirty, and then pick the camera up and go again. Mm. And so, <laughs> Sam mentioned about your determination and, and your drive at that point when you'd met. Was that was that fueled by you, the love of YouTube, or simply the financial gains that you'd seen from you being, it was, at, you know, at one point and then going to the next point? It was the the definitely the the fact that I was almost living my dream. Right. Okay. Of of every day, I could drive a Lamborghini. Right. Um, that that was that was it, and and the money was a byproduct. Um, the subscribers, the views was a byproduct, and at that time, all I wanted to do was was continue to share and document this journey because I was probably one of the first people on YouTube that even documented Lamborghini ownership. It was really, really fresh and new. Um, and that's, that's what I love doing. Mm, Cause, okay. cause I, I never had that when I was, when I was growing up, I didn't have, uh, someone to follow, to learn so much about and in, that insight into, into supercar ownership. Okay, so now now I'm going to throw a couple of tougher questions your way, and don't let me put words in your mouth. And maybe this is a projection, me projecting rather than anything else. But you started off with this 
interest and excitement of seeing cars being driven around London, right? Mm. You were filming these clips, you would go home and watch just to get that buzz again. You'd now somehow in a very short amount of time built this huge audience and put yourself into one of those cars and you were living that dream. And I was witnessing that from afar and, and seeing you on this journey. And then there seemed to be a slight switch, which maybe it's further down the line, AMG, GT, or even the Huracan, where it seemed like there was a, a discord or, or a cut between this life which you loved witnessing or maybe enjoyed experiencing in the Gallardo and the R8, and then actually the reality of it in the sense where filming Hermercialago drive past you and imagining what that person was experiencing, then actually experiencing it didn't seem to always meet up in your mind. Mm. Was there a moment where you sort of went, did, did you notice that? Did you feel like you were just, the daily vlogging had taken a, a, a buzz out of you? Was actually the reality not what you'd built it up to be? Was YouTube tougher? Like what was that kind of moment? Because I, I definitely feel like just on a car, purely on a car experience, mm. you didn't seem to always love driving the cars <laughs> as much as you did filming them. Yeah, I feel yeah. like your best videos, yeah. your most excitement came from spotting in Monaco. 100%. Yeah. Even to even today. Was uh, YouTube taking its toll on you essentially? You, there was there was there was a uh, a combination of of things that I've never really talked about. The day after the day after I collected my Lamborghini, the Gallardo, the Gallardo. I woke <laughs> I woke up and went I don't want it. <laughs> not, not not necessarily. I I went like what do I do now? Yeah. Like, right, right, okay. Because for seven years, eight years, I'd had this goal. You're 25 then? No, no, no. I was 24. still 24. Oh, right. Smashed it. So, well done, boy. So, yeah, I, 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 did, I, I did it. And I'd been working towards this. This is all I'd been talking about on YouTube. And there was this, this level of excitement. And maybe it was um, like this huge high of actually achieving it. And then waking up in the morning to have the reality of, firstly, what do I do now? like in terms of what's my next goal like as a as a, on a personal level like where's my motivation um at the same time it was also hmm, can i afford this again like i was just putting all of my eggs in one basket and risking everything for the sake of achieving my goal because like every piece of money that i earned was then going back into that car and our road trip that do you remember the um lamborghini road trip the first, the two weeks where you were in F type, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know whether we were in a WhatsApp group or whether I had a private conversation with with Shmi. No, no, we sat down at a table. I know what you're gonna. I know and what you're gonna say. And I said I, ca I actually can't afford to do this trip, and Tim offered to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we were at a dinner. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Maybe it was a WhatsApp, but yeah. in my head for some reason, so I, I just bought this Lamborghini. So yeah. online, this is the prime example of how skewed YouTube, Instagram, social media is in terms of we're putting out like the best 1% of our day online, mm. which is where a lot of people get um, hooked up, hooked up yeah. um, is I just bought this Lamborghini. And the first thing that I thought is like, personally, where's my motivation now? Like what's, what, what's the next step for me? Yeah. Um, and secondly, I can't afford to actually do anything with this car or like, I can't afford to, to do this road trip that we had had planned. And, and just, we had that and then Dubai. And that, oh, that was yeah, what it was. Yeah, we had, we, yeah, we yeah. planned up two months worth of trips. Yeah. And I think you had some invoices for some either brand deals or maybe some work that was outstanding and, mm. and you were stressing. I think my take from, and, and super honest insight, but I think also my take was it from, as I say, witnessing you, I felt like you were still buzzing and loving filming cars, you know, yeah, especially yeah, on that yeah, Monaco yeah, yeah. trip. You were down in casino. 
actually that's where my driving the guy yeah, 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 yeah. that's where didn't seem to live up to almost that reality as well that's my the sort of the passion side as well as the business yes. side yeah the, the the passion um for cars for me definitely comes from seeing everything drive past and sit and experiencing things from the third person and actually there's probably a, a part in obviously i'm incredibly lucky to have been able to experience drive passenger in all sorts of amazing cars on different roads different countries tracks everything um nothing still nothing beats the buzz of actually turning around a corner in central london and bumping into a car that you never thought that you'd see um and well, that would come from your early days as well because you'd in your childhood you had already said that you'd never ever seen what you'd seen and then you went to london and you was exposed by all these cars so yeah. you were just in your head psychologically reliving your youth that that was where your original buzz come oh, from and yeah. that was what you was trying to get to all the time chasing yeah, yeah. that high chasing and that yeah yeah even even now um the the most enjoyable videos that i film are either like car spotting in monaco yeah. or going into london and just driving around london and seeing what what's around um, I, I never see you as excited as i do or passionate when unless we're doing those kind yeah, of things yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's not to say that over the years you yourself we any like have created epic bits of content and i want to move on to in a second, what I'm going to call your your next era, but 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 still, you know, across all three, all the times that I've known you, that's for sure where I see that buzz and that passion, and still today. And I think you know when we spoke, Tony, you know, I definitely analysed for me, and that's why I don't want to sort of project too much. But I think analysed for myself, you know, following that YouTube churn for a little bit, you know, getting caught up in the buying, wrapping, exhaust, selling, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. because that was the thing to do. That's where the <laughs> excitement was. That's where the audience was. That's where the money was. And it took a while for all of us to step back and go, actually, is that working for me? Is that working for my channel? And so, yes, let's, let's get on to, well, we've got to talk about drifting, but, but, <laughs> but there was a, a definite shift where you'd, you'd gone to the daily vlogging. We now have the supercar live, you know, the hurricane rear wheel drives and all these different bits and bobs. But I saw a change where you almost went back, I think, to the early R8 days of sort of being, of partnering with brands, like partnering with companies, being more of a business-focused entity mm. than just a vlogger. And at least, you know, we see it now with partnerships you do with Grenade and, and, and other companies where that seems to be more where you get your buzz. Is, I mean, is that right? It, yeah, 100%. Because um, for, for the last sort of four or five years or where... Should we, what is it, like digital marketing? Or, yeah. Or brand, yeah. brand collaborations, brand partnerships facilitate me living dreams because there's no way that even whilst I had the Lamborghini, the AMG GTS, there wasn't enough income to, to reinvest. I reinvested everything and still do now where I could have a pot of cash to go and do the wildest, craziest videos that I've always dreamt of doing because the, the creative side of me always has a list of videos I want to film. And obviously, as I uh, have the ability and access to drive more and more cars, the, the, the creatives get more and more ridiculous. As I, as I kind of climb that lad ladder to, to continually get 
the best videos. I always want to have this trajectory of like continuously evolving content and come up with the craziest ideas. And it came became a point where it was around maybe 200, 250,000 subscribers where I started to, to be approached by brands who were offering money that I couldn't even imagine having um, and they were able to help facilitate me to create the next dream video. And that's where it came from, like the BOTB bucket list series that I did. That was an idea that I had of, well, if you do achieve your dream of owning a supercar, what do you do with it? Like, where do you go? And so when BOTB said, hey, like, we'd love to partner with you if there's a way in which we can operate our brand and what we do in selling tickets to buy a supercar, how would you promote us? And I said, well, BOTB winners win their dream car. How about I create a bucket list series of what I would do if I won a car on BOTB and share that with my audience? So that was that's that was the buzz the buzz that I got from a creative point of view. So it's clear it's clear from that point, from what you've just said, that firstly you probably you sat down, you're all you're all together at the table, I can't afford this. Was that was that at the point, because I know this from you, was that at the point where YouTube had kind of completely done you all in and you just weren't earning the money and you felt that you had to reinvent yourself and then because I know that become a point with you, mate, as well, where where you then had to reinvent yourself and approach brands as opposed to just rely on YouTube money. Was that was that, that point for you? No, that, that point came halfway through my AMG GTS. Okay, fine. Um, so not that long after though. Not that long after, right. no, no, no. Um, actually, it was, it was, there was definitely some like outstanding invoices that I hadn't been paid for and I was waiting for. Laziness. Um, yeah, but also- well, no, How slowly brands pay influencers. <laughs> That's more what it is. Okay. There yeah. was, uh, so right now, as we're recording this, is kind of like the, into the into the temple. Similar thing. I've not been paid for work I did in June. Uh, you, you know I invoice money, Len, don't you? Well, I mean, it's quite expensive, but- I'll invoice money. He's basically a loan shark. (laughs) (laughs) Steer clear of that guy. Don't interrupt, Tony. Don't Uh, distract. So, the the Gallardo, in that time, I I sold my R8, I bought a Lamborghini, I I drove a LaFerrari as well when I was like 24. All of this in the daily vlogs. It all came about, and I had earned a, a strong amount of money on YouTube the first time that I discovered daily vlogs as I bought the Gallardo. And YouTube at the time paid 45 days after the end of the month. So let's say I had started to daily vlog in September and I'd earn, in theory, all of this money in September from selling the R8, buying the Lamborghini, driving the LaFerrari in 30 videos. I'd seen how much money I'd earned that month, but I wasn't getting paid that until middle of November. So So when we were doing the road trip in October, I didn't have any money. So how does it work now? Is it like that now still? Change. Uh, 30 days, thir- 30 days after, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so there was, that, there was that delay and it was a real sort of steep learning curve for me in terms of business and cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know where we were. So, so we it, you, said, you said the AMG GTS changed your mindset yeah. from I need to reinvent or think of another way to bring money in or, or to, to, to run my business. Well, really brands landed on on my doorstep. There they approached you. There, there, there really wasn't um, motor. I didn't know it existed. So the first brand that ever approached me was Shell. And I had it. Love Shell on this podcast. Yeah. Cheers, FYI. Is I, that what happened to you, mate, as well? 
Yeah. Same for yeah, yeah. brands, a brand's approached you? Yeah, or? I think initially, as we were starting our YouTube journey, none of us knew that brand campaigns beyond in my head PR, which was free, mm. would be a thing, would be an opportunity. I, of course, that's how brands work with celebrities. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would ever look to influence on big paid campaigns the way, at least in the automotive space. So yeah, early days, you know, you started earning from with brands a bit before me, but you know, some of the early sort of people reaching out and stuff. It, oh, yeah, right. it was like, hey, we, we, we want you to promote our new V power and we'll pay you 500 quid to do it. I always thought it was the other way around initially, as in you boys went out and no, approached them. No, no, no. Oh, right. Okay. So the conversation I had with Cher was this phone call where they were telling me how cool it was. It was down at the Top Gear test track, which I don't think I'd, ever, I'd ever been to before. Um, it was, they were creating this assault course and you got to drive a BMW X5 and it was all to do with their new Shell V power fuel. And I was like, amazing. This is so cool. They were like, all we need you to do is film a YouTube video and post two Instagram contents and i was like okay cool and they're like and the fee is 1500 quid i went oh my god that pays for my car no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. i thought i had to pay 1500 quid to do the day oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it I, sounds good but not that good and I, and I said i was like i'm i'm gonna be completely honest with you here i don't think i'm gonna earn 1500 quid from my YouTube video and, so and the views and, and posting to Instagram po- photos. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't pay that. That's what you get paid. I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, 1,500 quid for a day's work. Turned out to be longer than a day's work because obviously <laughs> everything that goes along with it. But that was the first time that I had a paid brand reach out to me. And that's how new it was and how alien it was to me that I genuinely thought that the fee was what I paid to partake in the day. And actually, when you actually think about that 1,500 quid, as much money it is, for the exposure the brand would have got, at that point, you you had a big following at Mm -hmm. that point, right? Mm -hmm. That's pennies. Without being, without going off on a tangent and without being aggressive about it, the creative industry, the online credit still gets so underpaid in terms of exposure and brand awareness. Because if you go traditional advertising or even celebrity advertising, it it is 10 times the amount that some, some creators will get paid. And not target. Oh yeah. It's not target. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not, not endorsed in the same way. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, the brand's work starts coming in, uh, as we've talked about uh, with, with Tim and with myself, you know, it's a sort of new era for, uh, social media at least. But what I would say is, is now you, you're definitely one of the best people I've ever seen in terms of p- pitching to a brand creative ideas. So, so if a company says, oh, we want to, we want to work with you, or we've got this product we want to promote. I, in that room and you know, a week later, when you're sending that email, I've always thought that you're one of the best people at, uh, uh, putting together some kind of thing that they, that they love. Like there's never a sort of, oh, this is what I think will work with whatever you seem to pitch, they go, yes, great. And sometimes they're like, they are never going to buy into that. And then you call me and go, yeah, they've gone for it. They love it. Like, so, so, and we saw it with the R8 when you managed to convince these kind of relatively small companies to buy into this idea. Did you feel like you had, have you realized that you have an inept aptitude, uh, ability to pitch like that? Did you have that confidence? Like, when did that switch? Because that's what I see you doing more and more of now mm. is being able to, to get these mega ideas and campaigns away with, with brands. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> very, very kind words, sir. Well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, from... So my 30th birthday was January this year. 
in the summer of this year, we were in lockdown. Um, uh, sorry, January, we were in lockdown. So my mum did like a little garden party um, for all of my family to come to in the summer. And she keeps everything. So I basically walked into my old house where my mum had plastered all of my drawings. <laughs> I'd, I'd written books. And literally, it was like, Paul, age six. And the book was about the life of a lion and i like i literally at six years old like i would be talking about lines reproducing i'd be talking about like i literally loved to create anything like i would draw for hours when i was a kid and that turned into during school it was i did drama i did um pe i did graphics i did art i literally picked everything that was creative so i can imagine that's really where it's it started from but the one thing that i think i've maintained consistency in throughout my youtube um life whether i've enjoyed elements of it or not enjoyed elements of it is i've always had like almost like a dream video shot list of things that i would love to film and again like going back they just get like bigger and more excessive which obviously requires more budget um so i don't know i'd honestly i i don't know why or or what it is that has enabled me to be able to do that. But I also remember like very early days when we were um, sort of getting to know each other and hanging out and going to various places. I remember pitching to, to brands and dealerships about ways in which I could own cars without owning them if that yeah. makes sense like they, yeah long-term loans or something yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah. think like, you pitched that to me but there was always ways that i was looking to kind of minimalize outgoing costs to try and maximize everything that i was getting um and i reckon up until probably probably like 2019 i reinvested a hundred, if not 110% of anything that I earn, um, back into, into like doing more stuff. Um, which now when I look back on it, probably wasn't the most efficient way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's bring you right up to date. Um, there's three questions I have for you. Mm. Uh, you know, what, what are we your also, goals? We also miss drifting. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, what, this is, this, this okay. is the what are you, what are your goals? What's your, what's your inspiration now? Like, like, like you, you kept saying that you kind of got to this point where you're like, well, what do I do now? I've, I've reached that goal, reached that dream. How, do you have more goals or dreams? So, so what's that? Yes. Big question number two. <laughs> what happened to the drifting? Yeah. Like, because I that. Have, I have actually addressed this. Okay. On, well, we're going to address on, on this Sam podcast. podcast. We're going to address it on Go this podcast. Because we get more listeners than Sam. <laughs> 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 Although I do really love Sam. So I shouldn't say things like that. Um, but yeah, so, so what, what happened with the drifting? Uh, and then thirdly and finally, how do you sum up 10 years as Supercars London? Because are we still in the 10th anniversary now or no, we're, no, we're no, 11 no. years? Uh, no, no, no. We're um, or 13 or 14. Oh, wow. Sorry. Okay. Well, yeah. I, was, I, missed uh, I that. mean, I mean, I heard 2004, 2005. So yeah, on YouTube, it's been 15 or 16 yeah, years. Okay, yeah. sorry, More than half my life. Totally my bad. So yeah. So, so, you know, I so, say, what are your goals now? What happened to the drifting? And, and, as a sort of, you sit here, wise old man of YouTube, are you like, cool, I smashed it. I've been there. Or is it like, I'm fucking as, ooh, <coughs> I'm as humble. <laughs> 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 I won't forget to bleep that because we're one hour 20 in. <laughs> um, 
but you know, I'm I'm more motivated and ready than ever to tackle this in a different way. So yeah, go. Dr- dr- One, two, three. Drifting first, we go back to the idea of, of pitching ideas, pitching creatives. Um, and one of the things that I fell in love with from experiencing uh, was going sideways in a car. I remember vividly, because we were friends then, yeah. I remember vividly you saying to me, mate, I'm going drifting. Honestly, I'm going to become a pro drifter. No, I remember, was, I remember it, all these it, conversations. It was and probably still is, although I've got much more, f- much, much more of a fear factor now, one of the coolest experiences and feelings that you can have in a car. So I had a campaign with Mercedes and we were ice driving and they pitched to me, this was way before I got into the drifting stuff, they pitched to me that I was going to break the world record for the longest drift, which was, I think, about 1.5 kilometres on ice. Um, so that was really like the starting point of where this idea came from. So I went out and I learned car control on ice. I've created these two wicked videos with Mercedes. They also got a, a cool video, which was, I think, still to this day, one of their highest performing collaborations that they've done on the Mercedes-Benz YouTube channel. You had so a film crew and all that, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Proper pro level. It was unbelievable experience. And I basically came back and I spoke to um, my manager and I said, I want to do that. That is the next 10 years. I want to document going from grassroots... <laughs> Tony's already laughing. <laughs> up, to, up to being the best drift car... Drift, 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 drifter in the world. I looked at Ken Block mm-hmm. and what he was doing, and I was like, if there was the story mm-hmm. of how he got there online, that would be amazing. amazing. Um, so I then started to rally my brain because, again, like I didn't have like bottomless pits of cash to go. This is this is this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to fund it. And drifting, even though you're fundamentally buying 500 pound like 1000 pound cars is still expensive because you have to modify them you have to constantly supply tires oh and I'm sure at the top level you're spending hundreds of thousands on drifting oh, yeah, yeah, surely yeah, yeah. Yeah. Still and, and, and more yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my business brain merged with the creative was okay who do I know that ha- that has like the ability to support this financially so I had monster ford 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 oh yeah yeah and who was the other one? I feel bad now. But anyway, I had six to eight months worth of meetings. This was, the, to me, the one mistake that I made on YouTube. I always said to myself, you cannot talk about something unless it is 100% confirmed. Because otherwise, the amount of times that you're going to go, guys, I'm doing this. And if it's not confirmed and it falls through, you're going to look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And this really was like a big F up. Because I'd announced this with Mercedes, because I got excited about all of the ice driving, that this is what I was going to do. On the 10-year anniversary of Supercars London, it tied in perfectly. I backed myself that I would pull everything through. And we had we had Ford, we had Monson, we had another brand, and it was in excess of 250 grand in sponsorship for this series. You achieved that sponsorship? That was going to run for... It was going to run for two years, and it was going to document as a TV documentary series mm-hmm. on Monster's YouTube channel, Ford were going to supply the car and also uh, and also cash. Um, and that was going to fund it. Mm-hmm. And Monster pulled out because mm-hmm. they freaked out that they were funding me d- on, a, on a day one journey, that they were terrified that I'd never be 
accepted into the world of drifting having all of the support right from the word go to the point where if i do become like this pro no one is going to give me the credibility because well that's the excuse they told me anyway um <laughs> and from that everything started to pull out pull, pull, pull down by the wayside and um this was at the time where i just bought c63 from you mm-hmm and I was trying to um, release as much money as I could to buy um, my first property with my girlfriend. So I was trying to move on like on a personal level. I was trying to get the next chapter in. Um, so I didn't have really any of my own money that was like liquid cash that I could go, oh, do you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go and buy a drift car myself. And I'm and it just the timing on everything just nothing nothing matched up i lost the the opportunity of having these sponsors in um and it was around the time that i was going through the whole mortgage process so i couldn't spend any money to buy a drift car and go and do it myself and it was it was like the hardest thing to cut to well i basically buried my head in the sand on that whole series because there was no other way um that I could get around it. I couldn't explain at the time because it was such sensitive information that these brands had pulled out, um, that that was the kind of route that I was going down. I didn't really know which way to explain it online. Um, but for me, the biggest priority was obviously getting this flat. Like me and my girlfriend had committed so much to it and I just sold my Lamborghini Hurricane. I bought the C63 to try and reduce some of the outgoings that was going on. Um, and I genuinely had kind of planned at least the next two years, both financially and from a content point of view, that that was what's going to happen. From the drifting. From the drifting. And, and, and when it, everything started to fall apart, um, I didn't have a plan B. Okay, so you were left a little bit in the lurch. Mm. Go on, Tony, what were you so, going to say? So at, at, at that point then, do you think, you said you buried your head in the sand. Mm. Do you think you lost your way a bit then oh, yeah, at that 100%, point? 100%. And then do you feel that at that point the channel suffered yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because up until that point, there were many moments where I kind of lied, lied awake at night going, I've done everything, I, every decision I make goes right. Nothing that I've really done has gone wrong when is that going to happen? Yeah. So I was questioning myself and um, that was, that, that was the moment where it, that was the moment it went wrong because up until that point, I had really filmed everything as, as, as like everyone knew me, like they could walk up to me in the street and feel like they were my mate. They knew almost everything about me. I did my best to hide the, f- my family and my private life away from it. So you should. Um, but everything else was out there in the open and people were coming up to me and I really, really felt like everyone was coming up to me and super friendly as if they were my best mate from school. Uh Um, And the moment that I had to hide something from my audience, I felt like I was doing them a disservice, but I couldn't do anything about it. And it was supposed to be the next chapter. Yeah, right? you yeah, say yeah, it's yeah. Any of this yeah. I remember that's how you were sort of presenting it to me. It was like, because I, as a sort of motorsport fan, and also your <laughs> mate, was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you ain't got hope in hell. Like, there are people who have been doing this for like 15 yeah. years. And you're just going to turn up one day and be like, hey guys, I'm a pro drifter. Yeah. But you were like, no, no, but this is, as you say, it's a 10 year journey. This is yeah. a whole yeah. narrative and storyline. And this is the new chapter for Supercars. And, and you were sort of saying to me, you felt like you'd done what you wanted to in the supercars. Mm. And, the, and, the, and so I, I definitely felt for you and saw as that fell away, 
how I think anyone who, you know, Tony, if you were selling up a whole new showroom in, in Newcastle or whatever, or I was setting up a, a new podcast in French, I don't know, whatever. And if it falls away, if a new business doesn't succeed, that's a bitter blow, especially when you're all in. So I guess that brings me back to my other two questions. So, mm. so where are you now? What's the motivation or goal now in or outside of YouTube? Ah, uh, it's, it's become, as I've, as I've kind of grown up, I feel like I've matured, I've matured quite well off camera, um, or I'd like to think. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I do, I do question what the last 10 years, the effect that the last 10 years has had on, on choosing to, to do YouTube as, as cool as it is. Like I do kind of, I, I, I worry about certain, certain situations and stuff. Do you care less now? About YouTube or do yeah. I care less about my, um, yeah. Fair. In terms of, uh, growth, in terms of en yes. engagement, yeah. in terms of no, content. No, no. Growth, 100%, because I know that YouTube control those goalposts and they move them all of the time. That's one of the things that I think as I've matured, I've, I've started to learn. And my goal probably from 2016, 2017 is rather than chase numbers is, is, like I'm, I'm so happy with where I am now and who watches my videos now. So as long as I can entertain the people that watch it now, that's that's all all I try and do. And actually, that that is really from uh, someone looking uh, outside in. It's something I really like about you. You don't, you're not in the machine. You don't chase numbers. You don't mm. really look at algorithms. You're not, you're not really interested in that point because. From a mental point, and we spoke about it a little bit, mate, but from a mental point of view, when you're in that machine, I mean... It's terrifying. It is... It's a, hell. A, a, it's yeah, hell, yeah. and it absolutely takes you over. So, to be fair, you've done well just that bit alone. To get out. To, to, to not, or not, get not out, be in. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. not be in it. I've, I, 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 I identified YouTube, I'd say, when I was probably in my Gallardo ownership. So I was 24. The first thing I identified was if I'd been given this growth and rate of success, because YouTube basically give it to you. Um, they identify channels that are performing well, that have high engagement, and then they just throw people at you. Yeah. So the growth is, is um, somewhat unauthentic to an extent um they dangle the carrot and then they pull it away when um, they feel like it when they feel like it yeah. um i identified i think it was gallardo so it would have been like 2014 that, that youtube don't understand what they've created and the power that they're giving to people i said back then if i'd had this level of success and growth at the age of 18 where i would probably be buying a supercar at 19 20 i'd probably be dead yeah, is the first thing that I said, but also the the mental games that YouTube play with you, which I've not really talked about too much because I'm I'm quite scared to. At the same time, I document the the highs of my day and the highs of my life, which is what I've always tried to do. I always feel like I don't have a voice to then share the lows because the highs are really high and then the lows are really low. Um, so the the sort of identification of not chasing numbers on a screen and the, the realization that i had where i'd wake up and my day would be affected by numbers on a screen was the day that i realized that i can't have this dictate the way that i feel because 
going back to the way that this blurs with your personal life, it then affects everything. Oh, it takes over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So to be able to recognise that and, and not necessarily get out, but step away from it and detach myself away from, from, the, from the numbers and stuff, um, my sole goal um, has always been if, if I enjoy the video that I create, once I've edited it, do I enjoy what I've created? They're the two criteria that I have. If I'm proud of that video, I'll upload it and hope that the audience that are currently there, sitting there and watching it, enjoy it too. Um, then to me, like I've, I've, I'm happy with that. Fair. Okay, well, to, to wrap things up then, the sort of final part is, is I guess, is where, where does one go from here? Obviously, co-host of After the Checkered Flag. I mean, pretty big <laughs> moment in anyone's life. And a huge amount of opportunity, uh, especially as moving to next year with Lawrence Stroll as a full sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, we wish. Paul's been angling for that for yeah. all year. Because he hasn't replied to my DM I'm leaving. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, no, that's the Martin sponsor. We'll that's have no a huge job. Aston Martin logo. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, so, so, you know, as I say, do, do you look back fondly is there like would, anything that you would change and where do you go from what can people expect if people who maybe have dripped out for a few years or they've just joined you now you know what's the plot and plan i guess what's the future what's the future <laughs> do you want there to question. be a future i always said not on camera i always said that i would i would stop i want to stop youtube by 30 Oh God! Well, yeah. <laughs> mate, close the channel down now. Here You're I well am. Past it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, so I think COVID has has um, changed my perception on a lot of things. And one thing that um, I really struggled with was burning out, and and basically getting to the point where I almost like would throw up at the thought of having to go and film because it was just so constant. The the thought process in what am I going to film? How am I going to film it? When am I going to upload it? How am I? How, how's everything going to um, be associated to that? Um, that I mean, it was around Goodwood Festival speed every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, was and the, also as the competition built, I think we both we both openly struggled with that. It was as mm. more channels opened and started up, what our voice was, what our angle, what our perspective was. And yeah, you know, I, think, I think we shared that. Neither of us are motivated by like, what car to buy next? Here's the next car. What am I going to do with it? Um, so hashtag not, exclusive. It's, yeah. it's not how you run your channels though, boys, is it? It's, no, you know, no. It's, so not, it's not how I, you operate. I've, I've still got a, a dream shot list for 2022. Nice. Of, of things that I want to achieve, content that I want to create. Um, but also, I think over the last three, four years, um, as I've got older, a lot of, from my, from the, my personal life, uh, my, my goals have changed with that as well. Um, so there are a lot of things that I've tried to do while still running um everything on YouTube and COVID in a way helped, but didn't help um, in terms of I've massively cut back um, the amount of content that I used to upload. So it used to be like at one point, obviously it was seven videos. It then dropped down to five. It then dropped down to three. It dropped down to two. Um, and just to sustain like a, a, a strong mentality, um, I dropped back to one video, which a month. Um, <laughs> 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 well, yeah. um, one video a week. And what that has like really allowed me to do is find a better balance between my, my personal life and then and then running the business. Um 
and next year, like I'm, lo- I'm, lo- I mean, I'm looking forward to December and January. Like the stuff that I've got lined up for December and January actually motivates me, like to get excited for it. Um, and then going into like Q1, Q2 next year, um, focusing on a couple of cool road trips. One in the UK, which I don't think like I've done properly. Um, actually gone and visit other cities in in the UK and and experience the the car scene there. I'm going to be over in LA, um, which I can't wait for now that travel has somewhat opened up. Who knows? For now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, who knows, get quick. Who yeah. knows where we're going to be? Um, but but next year as well, like personally, will probably be like one of the best in my life. Um, and I'm I'm working I'm working towards a few longer term goals, which will affect um, Supercars of London and the YouTube channel um, in a good way. And that's probably the easiest way that I can describe it. Well, it's been a fairly insane story and journey, I think. You know, we didn't even touch on the fact that, of course, LP640, dream car that you own. Yeah, that literally I mean, bucket list. Bucket list to own a car by Lambert again, by 25, and you've owned two by 30. Yeah, yeah. Three. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> Bloody hell. Sorry, um, I forgot. But the, the Mercia Largo was, if you go back to the Gallardo where I woke up the day after and I was like, what do I do now? Like I've done the, I've literally achieved the goal. Um, the Mercia Largo was that 10, like 20 times. Because oh, wow. that was, that was like, because also it's awful. Yeah. For some reason, I just went and bought one. No, <laughs> that is, that is the, the greatest car I've ever owned. Oh God. Um, oh my God. But like, again, like I, I, to look at, I had a, I had a real hard time no, driving no, it. No, no, yeah, 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 no, yeah. What, no, what to do next. No, fair enough. Well, we're excited, aren't we, Tony, for we the are, next chapter? Yeah. For and sure. For sure. And do you know what? Just before we go, a question for both of you, actually. Do you think YouTube is a young man's game now? I think it's always been a young man's game, I'd have to say. Yes and no. I feel like there have been, especially in the automotive space, some really amazing creators that have come in that have maybe had a slightly different life to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look at Harry Metcalf and Johnny Smith, like for me, for sure, like they are two guys who, like, they would like to think that they're young, but in the grand scheme of things, you get eighteen-year-olds, sixteen-year-olds, you get bloody seven-year-olds like the stuff that my niece watches on youtube yeah. they have like 29 million subscribers and they're like five oh, the kids yeah. the kid the kids it's, ones it's are nuts. It is, it's nuts so yeah. um i think purely on the journey that i've had the more the, the thrill that i get and the best experiences have come from when i'm much younger but i think in 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 life in general yeah. I think if you look back on your early 20s, like what you were doing, what you were getting up to, the majority of people would oh, say- I was grafting. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I, think, yeah. I think age gives you wisdom, right? I think what I would, my flip is, it's not a young man's game in terms of being online. It's the creator element. It's the running of a channel. And I think some of those older channels, I don't, yeah, actually don't yeah. know how Johnny runs his channel, but Harry, I know, for example, has helped filming, has it? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even though it's a fairly basic setup and he's absolutely killing it in terms of Harry's garage, I think to have that mentality, that enthusiasm, it helps to have someone who's got that thrive, that energy, that creativism. It's it's definitely not just a young man's it's game. A, it's a, and it's a be nice to get Harry on here, actually. I would love to get Harry, but because I know I know he doesn't tend to do too many collaborations. Fair. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, I've yeah. loved talking to him whenever I've talked to him, and he's 
fascinating insight. Yeah. But but when I floated doing some collab stuff, totally within his own right, he's like, look, I just I focus on what I do, and I've got plenty of other stuff going yeah, on. But I'll, I'll drop him a note and see again because yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating guy. But yeah. um, anyway, well look. Thank you, Paul. For Thank you, brother. Being so open, <laughs> we we tried our best not to be too cruel. <laughs> but I think you know, I think it was super interesting. As I, I I've known, we've we've all known that that your story has been super interesting, and and your career online has been very varied. And because it's gone on for so damn long, <laughs> I'm aware that audience members would have encountered yeah, you at I different that's, times that's and followed different parts the, of the journey. The the fi- the for me, it sounds like I'm like this is it. No, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. I, I do. I, I do. Was it years of, ago? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do look at. I do look at it and and like think. In terms of, I wouldn't change anything. No, I wouldn't change anything. And actually, the the life that I've been lucky enough to live and the stuff that I've been able to do, the places I've been able to travel. If you'd told me that when I was six, 16 years old or whatever that I'd get to thirty and have done everything like this. I like first you wouldn't have believed them. Um but it is like it is kind of it's kind of nuts when I speak to friends outside of YouTube and and kind of share stories. Just what you've been able to do. Yeah, crazy. The audience would have noticed I've been staying at the camera for about the last half an hour because the battery's <laughs> flashing and I'm so nervous really it's going to go off. So we're going to wrap it up because I've really been freaking out we're going to lose this. But thank you for coming by. If you guys thank have enjoyed you. it, if you want to catch up on what Paul's been doing recently or follow those future ventures because as he's teased, he is going to be doing some big exciting things in 2022. He's of course- With you guys. At, well, yeah, of course. After the flag. At Super Guys <laughs> London or at Wallace PJW. Tony at Tony Gravel Car Sales. Myself at Scene Through Glass. And we will be back with you next week. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market